Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. Very excited. We got Gino returning. It has been too long, brother. I am excited <laughs> to have you back on here. Now, while I am excited, y'all should be too. Like the show, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all those good things to get your emails in the morning when we go live, which is, of course, so far, every day. Now, uh, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, anything at all, by all means, put them in the comment section. We will engage them throughout the show as we go. Kind of like this one. Lisa jumps in here. Hello, everyone from Dripping Springs, Texas. Good to see you, Lisa. Um, today, we're going to get into defining moments. And I am excited to bring this one on because I think it's going to be a great conversation. But before we do that, Gino, give us a quick uh, 15, 25 second blurb. Who are you? Where you come from? All that good stuff. 110, 10%, man. Um, Gina Kalura got a, a PhD in behavioral science, specifically in neuroanthropology. So it's neuroscience mixed with medical and cultural anthropology. And uh, I've taken a deep dive into self-mastery and the neuroscience of trauma and meaning making. Bam. I like it. Excited to talk about this particularly because we're going to be talking about moments. So what is a defining moment? Well, what I, what I gathered, I did a little bit of research on this and what I came up with was this. Defining moments are highly emotional events that formatively transform us. They impact us due to the meaning we give to the event, not the event itself. Because of their vivid and stark detail, they get stored in our long-term memory, and the new meaning dictates the new story, the new belief, and the new way of being, which significantly affects the, traje the trajectory of our life on a level that we can't fully comprehend without the right tools. Mm. So... I really like that definition on that one, but what are your first thoughts on defining moments? Gino, what do you think? They're a big deal. Uh, they're a really, really big deal in the sense of when you look at the trajectory of a life course and things that influence people to do the things that they do, the choices that they make, the decisions that they make, right? Their outlook on life, the attitude that they carry, the motivating factors. Many times it's, there, there's three to five big, big, moments in their life that have kind of served as the gasoline to the fire, right? And the really unique thing about that is defining moments in general, when you hold on to them, which all of us do, right? Because more often than not, they are, are bathed in a heavy amount of, of stress, right? Um, as well as change um, and, and adaptation, right? Because it creates a new leaf. It creates a new version of you because the world kind of looks differently um, after that moment happens. But the really unique thing is that when you hold on to it over time, that moment, the moment itself doesn't change, right? But the lessons learned from it, the perspective that you carry, the things that you can draw out of it over time do change. And that comes with growth, right? And that's actually a huge cardinal beacon as far as being able to ascertain how you have grown as a person. I think of three defining moments in my life that I always go back to and every single year that goes by, man, they mean a little something different, right? That I take something a little bit different from them, which I like because it tells me that I'm growing. My, my understanding of myself is growing and I'm, I'm continuing the path to self-mastery. That was a long-winded answer. Sorry, dudes. No, I love it. That's fantastic. Sean, what are your first thoughts on this? Well, did I mishear you when you said approximately five or there's statistical evidence of five or is that uh, academic evidence? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm super curious about that number. Can you please just quickly define that for me? Thanks. No, 100%, Sean. So yes, academically, right? When you're looking at a, a pool of people, and obviously we can get into all the 
the different nuances and facets from a statistical perspective, but most folks have three to five defining moments in their life that have led them to a certain point whenever you talk to them. And this is folks between the ages of 30 to 42, 43 years of age that can look back and say, wow, this happened because of this thing, right? And be able to kind of play that over and over again. Um, that, that seems to be the median. There you go, Sean. Okay, well, that's fascinating because I've never considered it as a number or as a uh, that there's some sort of evidence out there. I, and, and I 100% believe that you are correct. Uh, I've just never really quantified it in my own life or considered it as a general norm what the number might be. So uh, I'm loving this idea that there are um, these sort of pivotal moments or these uh, such impactful moments in our life that they act as perhaps perhaps uh, markers uh, of our past and perhaps can use to project our futures based on uh, analyzing them. So uh, thanks for bringing that freaking mega uh, knowledge right at the start of the show. Absolutely, bro. This is how it starts. I am liking it already. So uh, quick comment. Glenn's here. Afternoon, fellas. Good to see you, buddy. Um, now, the first thought I had on this first question is that, you know, in the definition that I gave it, it says that um, because of the vivid and stark detail that gets stored in our long-term memory. So do, you, do these defining moments, do they require uh, the ability to introspect or to be able to think about them in depth? Or is it just like these are crazy things that happen and don't require any thought for them to actually change your, um, your purview, the way you're going? Gina, what do you think? So I think in the moment, right, when it's happening, more often than not, kind of going back to this idea that they're bathed in stress, right? And and it could be, obviously, you stress or it could be negative stress. Um, but no, I, I don't think introspection is required, right, to, for you to kind of recognize the fact that this is a defining moment for me. I think where the introspection comes into play, kind of identifies and highlights the intrinsic worth of that moment is is obviously time, right? And as time goes on and you begin to recognize like, oh, wow. Okay, so I, I'm understanding, right, why it is I think this way. I'm understanding why it is that I feel motivated to do A, B, C, or X, Y, Z, right? Because, and you know, you guys are privy to this, right? So in my life, right, I think of two quick defining moments, right? So when my aunt was shot in the face when I was eight years old, right, that was a defining moment. And the birth of my daughter, right, that was a defining moment, right? Both very stressful, right? One, not in a good way, another one in a good way, right? But have shifted the trajectory, right, of how it is I see myself and, and where I believe my place is and my belonging is um, in this life, in this journey. So when you look at that in the moment, I mean, look, I'm, I, me personally, I'm still <laughs> figuring out this dad thing. I'm still figuring out having two kids and the transition and I'm a behavioral scientist, right? But I'm compromised because I'm a father and I'm emotional and I'm all in, right? And so like, I could sit here all day and spit off the scientific stuff to you, but it doesn't mean a daggum thing because I'm in it, dude. I'm learning, I'm failing, I'm dropping the ball and picking it back up. And there's things that are happening that are massively huge defining moments, but I don't quite see it yet. And I'll maybe I'll recognize one day, 10, 15, 20 years from now, like, wow, that thing that happened that day with my daughter is why it is I see things the way that I see things right now, right? So but there's no introspection right now. Now it's just survival. <laughs> it's like, I got these two kids. I got to figure it out. But when I was eight years old and exposed to that trauma with my aunt getting shot, man, now fast forward 30 years later, oh, 
Yeah, lots of introspection, lots of analysis and being able to understand why I made certain choices, why I studied what it is that I study, right? With trauma in the special operations community, that all that is tied back to that moment. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. Thoughts on this? Well, my thoughts, I've had some, but I'd like to ask a, um, a clarifying question or a qualifying question uh, to the doc. And that is, um, is, do you feel that this is the case or is there um, more correctly perhaps a academic understanding as to these moments being sort of anchors in our life and that uh, based on them being the anchors, we then contextualize the fullness of our life against the anchors or the surrounding timeline around each anchor in order to contextualize. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. No, I think that's fair, Sean. I think that, the, yeah, I would absolutely consider them to be anchor points, right? I mean, along the way, as the boat of life is traveling, you drop that anchor and you take a minute and you kind of embody what that moment is. And you never forget that stop because it is a part of you. Um, but yes, I, I would say it, they're, they are anchors. I think where a challenge comes into place is that a lot of people hear anchor and they stay there, right? Without understanding that it's part of the process. It, it's part of the journey. And, and that is a whole nother thing that we could talk about, right? Is getting caught in the closed loop right, of, of experiential circumstances that can be one defining moment that people never depart from, right? And they're stuck in that loop forever and ever and ever when they don't have to be, but that's breaking mental models. But the short answer is yes, I do believe they fall in line with being anchors. What else you got, Sean? Well, that's good. I chose my words very carefully when I asked that question because that's how I envision the process as some people are able to uh, establish that that was an anchor and then they can lift that anchor and carry on with their journey and some just simply drop an anchor and can never move from that uh, area uh, whether it's you know if, if they drop an anchor we'll call it in a somewhat of a safe harbor uh, but they can never move out of that area or if they're in rough seas and they drop an anchor well that's where they're going to hang out as well and so uh, you know my mind went, went very quickly to a, an envisioned sort of scenario whereby the anchor is either lifted or not and whether it's safe or not and how that's impacting the person. And so just now that I've established that, I, I don't have much further thought beyond. I just want to clear up my uh, envisioned uh, thought process on this. So I'm curious if you got any more thoughts on it. I got, I got a question on this, actually. It's quite interesting because I know in terms of when we're talking about anchors and ships and all these things, but uh, in rough seas, you don't want to anchor near the shore unless you're in a port or a lagoon or something like that where you can have some protection from the weather but if you're too close to that and not inside the uh the lagoon you can get smashed up against the rocks so it's almost ideal to sail out to deeper waters where you can ride the waves a bit more and so i'm thinking about this as an allegory in terms of those people who are anchored to the past or anchored to this one moment um, is it similar, like those people are just kind of stuck, not really in a port where they can deal with the issue and not out to sea where they can manage it. They're just getting slammed up against the rocks constantly. Is that a accurate analogy? I think it is, man. I think human beings have a very unique quality, right? And the unique quality is this idea of compartmentalization. Now it, it works right on a temporary basis, but longitudinally it does not work, right? We have, there's tons of evidence um, in the behavioral sciences of that. But when you are able to, to weather the rough seas um, and you are anchoring away from port, right, and you're there, 
I think that there's definitely something to be said. There's a quality, right, that comes into play um, where it, something like that makes sense. But the thing is that at some point you do have to return to the shore. You do have to return to land, right? You, you have to. And if you don't, you're voluntarily making that choice to starve yourself, right, and to deprive yourself of things that you need to survive, things that you need to continue the journey. But a lot of people from a cognitive perspective and an emotional perspective, they can live a lifetime, right, of staying out at sea and not coming back home. But when you look at what happens, right, towards the end of the life cycle and them looking back retrospectively of decisions that they made and the regret that they carry, that is a very, very real thing. And not confronting those issues and not working through those issues, which means getting through the rough seas, returning back to port, figuring it out, restocking, getting back out there and deal with the next one, deal with the next one. But the whole point is that you're dealing with it. Right. And the idea of not dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. You can do it. Right. But the end result is, is obviously not optimal. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, you got any thoughts on this? Well, I think we've um, uh, managed to reach the extent of my nautical knowledge. So maybe we'll move away from the, uh, from the nautical uh, terms and the analogies. Uh, my next question to the doc is, um, do you have any statistics or do you have any sort of uh, anecdotal observations uh, uh, through casual discussions or what have you uh, as to, we'll maybe stick to the veteran community, which you're probably more familiar with, um, on the, these, these um, anchoring moments or these large pivotal moments where um, some guys just can't get out of it, where there are they're kind of stuck in the past on the one or two things that are just chewing them up inside and, and sort of the, um, the success rates of moving out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now, now, now this is really interesting, Sean, because now you're talking on, you're touching on the door of moral injury, right? Have you guys heard of that term moral injury? Oh, yeah. Yep. Right. So, uh, and this kind of goes hand in hand with the field and study of, of spiritual fitness as well. And the only reason why spiritual comes into play, not in a religious context, but this idea that there's an intangible and that intangible is the, the stuff that makes up your personal constitution, the value systems that you carry. And when something violates that, when something violates your belief system at a level to where it creates an impression that is spiked, right, by... Cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, there's a marker that happens and literally marks your brain, stains your brain with trauma, which makes it exceedingly difficult to get past because it hardwires the neural pathway of that trauma. Um, that, is, that is a very, very challenging thing to work through, and it can take an immense amount of time and effort to work through it. Now, statistically, how often does that happen? Do you move past that? I don't have numbers off the top of my head, but I can tell you that they're not very, the numbers that do exist, that I do know is that they're not very impressive um, in the sense of there is a clear methodology of how to move past those things, right? The, 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 the defining moments that aren't the good ones, the ones that really, you know, leave a stain on your soul and leave a stain on your spirit and your mind and in your heart. Um, and that, that's, that is truly no fault of, of, the person going through it, that's just more of science hasn't caught up to it yet. There's a lot of, of misunderstandings that exist out there. But that's when we start talking about alternative therapies. Prime example, like we've talked about before, jujitsu is one of them, right? There's other things associated with pushing through moral injury, pushing through a negative defining moment. So you can achieve plasticity, right? And the flexibility that's needed to say, well, wait a minute. Yes, that was really, really bad, but it doesn't define the rest of my life. There's more to this. There's more to me. Right. I've got others to serve. I've got more to give. 
And that right there, getting to that point requires what? Resiliency, right? You've got to have that mental toughness, the willingness to take that next step forward to break that hardwired sense of the neural pathway that's keeping you in that rut over and over and over and over again. It's having the juice to push through it. Where do you get the juice from, right? And that's where you have that moral recompensation to, to push that through to say, no, there's more to this. I've got to figure this out. I don't know. Does that answer your question, Sean? Sean, you got any uh, additional, anything to add on to that? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that does answer it. Uh, now, um, what I'm, what I'm seeing out there from some fellas is, and, guys and girls, is uh, they've come to the conclusion or they've resigned themselves to, I'm broken and I can't be fixed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, many a time I've disagreed with them in the sense of, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to hear it. Everyone can move forward, but you get a choice. You either do or you do not. And if, uh, if you choose to do not, then, uh, well, congratulations, you're anchored. But uh, I think everyone can lift the anchor, uh, obviously, but it's a matter of, I think some people want to make too big of a leap or, or they see the goal in front of them as they want to be a uh, hundred miles down the path, whereas uh, all I need them to do is step an inch off the uh, start line and start uh, creating tiny little wins or tiny little forward trajectory movements that uh, will build on themselves until they can create that self-belief of, yeah, I can do this. But I see uh, some guys, uh, predominantly veterans, who just have resigned themselves to the fact that uh, there's no way out of this. Uh, do you have any tips, tricks, uh, et cetera, that you can kind of lead us down a path here of uh, help for some of these guys? So this is a, an interesting question, an interesting thought, um, and where a, a lot of modalities kind of drop the ball, and that, that is exposure to defining moments, negative defining moments, right? Pre, and I'm, we're staying in the context, right, of, of veterans and military services. Right, Sean? That, that's that's a, the playing field we're in right now? Okay. So defining moments and trauma experienced before military service, right? What was the, what was the blueprint? What are the mental models that were established beforehand that would perpetuate this idea of, okay, from an identity management perspective, once I get out of service and I have to go back into the civilian life, yes, there are these chapters in my life where I, I served, <clears throat> but now I'm not that same person and I have to reassimilate and reacculturate into this grind, right, of being a civilian again. And I'm going to start falling back to that default of who I was before, right? Now, I realize that I've grown, but at the same time, I don't know how to get out of this rut because I was never given the tools, skills, and understandings before service and, and, and pivotal developmental years. So to answer your question, where do you start, right? Where's the first step? When I look at these things that are happening in my life post-service, and I don't know what it means to truly be able to push through a level of adversity that can take those defining moments, those, those bad things that have happened to me and that I've seen and experienced and make sense of them and turn them into fuel, right? Into the next version of myself, the 2.0, the 3.0, the 4.0, right? So it, it starts with, what do you want? Like, like, like let's just let's start there, right? W what do you want? What is the purpose and meaning of your life? Right? Where, where do you want it to begin? Where do you want it to end? Because right now, like, this is where it gets unique in the sense of being present, right? The past is the past. It makes absolutely no sense for you to continue to dwell right, on things that have happened in the past, even defining moments. Yeah, they're part of your story, but you don't live there, right? It, it, it was a, a deposit into what has sculpted you into this thing now, 
right? And in the future, well, technically the future doesn't exist. It's an intangible. So why are you getting caught up with anxiety and stress of what's going to happen 10 days from now? All you have is directly what's in front of you, right? So right now, I mean, Sean, man, you're, you're traveling across the world, having a great time. We're having this conversation technically. Yeah. In two hours, I'm going to put my daughter to sleep, but it's not right here right now. So I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about looking at you guys having this conversation, tuning into the audience, because this is the reality. I've got no business thinking about what's going to happen two hours from now. And I got no business thinking about what happened three weeks ago. It doesn't make any sense. There's no logic behind that. All I have is the present moment, but being able to do that wholeheartedly, right? Takes a level of objective understanding of saying my value, my worth is present. What does it take to be present? And that's a very difficult thing, especially when those defining moments are associated with a level of stress and a level of a neurohormone release. That is not common, right? It is very, very traumatic, right? And so not replaying that cycle over and over and over again starts with what do you want right here and right now? The second thing about that is alignment, right? Alignment with what? Well, the fundamentals, man, the physical, mental, social, spiritual, right? Let, let's get your diet right. Let's get your exercise routine right. Get out and get some sun. Get out in the wilderness. These are basics, right? But they freaking matter, right? They matter in a big way because you start talking about neurohormonal regulation and modulation. If you're not giving the physical parts of your body what it needs to produce healthy levels of dopamine and serotonin and DHEA and testosterone, all these things, man, to keep you regulated, dude, of course you're going to have bad days. Of course you're going to choose to live in the past. Of course you're not going to make harder decisions that reflect discipline, right? To be able to rock and roll and be able to be the best version of yourself, right? And then number three would be do what you don't want to do, right? Like what are the things that are directly in front of you? Oh, you don't feel like working out today. Cool. You better go work out. Oh, you don't want to train today. Well, you better go train, right? You don't want to spend that extra time with 15 minutes tonight reading a story to your kid. Go spend the 15 minutes reading to your kid, right? Make yourself uncomfortable, right? But you have to force yourself to do it, which takes us back to the first thing. What do you want? What do you want out of this life, right? And it's, it's much easier said than done because some people, depending on how deep they are in the rep, it takes a lot of churn and burn, right? To do it or really good coaches or really good friends in their circle to, put, to, to pick them up. But ultimately at the end of the day, they have to meet them halfway, man. You gotta be willing to step up and say, I'm better than this. I know there's more to life than this. And, and I owe it to myself and those who love me to show up. Does that make sense? Bam. <laughs> Dang, I missed having you on here, man. <laughs> this is awesome. Cheers, I, bro. Uh, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a question on on this, and uh, a question from uh, the viewers here. But I've always told people that you know you're ne you're not never a civilian again. Like you get out of the military, mm -hmm. it's this your civilian li once you enter into the military, your civilian life is over. Mm -hmm. Like it is just done. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. how effective that is because I, I tell people all the time, man. Like once you're out of the military. You're now in a veteran life. Mm -hmm. You have to look at it as a veteran life rather than as a going back to being a civvy or yeah. I, I need. And in my mind, it just works that way as a almost like a like an exit ramp <laughs> onto a different pathway, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Am I am I on base there? Does that seem like a a positive way forward or am I just being semantic? So I think you're on the right path, man, in the sense of identity management, right? And understanding this idea of, OK, so you're entering into veteran life. The question is, what does that mean? Right? What does veteran life mean? 
right? Because every single one of us will have a different interpretation and association, right? Does it mean that I'm the guy that's, you know, at the the VW who's you know drinking booze every day at five o'clock because it's free, right? And they're, they're going to hook me up, right? Or does it mean that I'm, I'm in service to folks who are currently still active duty or am I helping my fellow? Like, what does it mean to you, right? Because for some people, man, yeah, it could be a very optimistic and positive thing for others, not so much. Right. And so you have to, I think, define that. I think that's a really important thing. Um, I, I think you're in the right in the right trajectory in this the sense of, look, <clears throat> yes, you're never a civilian again, but at the same time you are because you're having to play in that pool, right? Like you're coming back to a life to where the person to your left and to your right is a civvy, right? And the value systems that they carry, their understanding, right, of trauma, their understanding of service, their understanding of honor, loyalty, all these things that go in to the cooking up, right, of, of making someone, turning someone from a civilian, right, to an active duty soldier, it's a very important process, right? There's a lot of science behind that. There's a reason why selection is the way that is, boot camps the way that is, so on and so forth. So when you're coming out and you're coming back in, yes, it's a massive part of your identity, but now there, you, you have to blend. There has to be a blend, right? And so, yes, there's something to be said about the exclusivity of being part of the veteran community, but at the same time, the veteran community is not the majority of what it is that you're spending your time in most of the day, right? Unless you work in a veteran specific organization, right? But if you're going back into the civilian workforce, you have to identify with those elements. And yes, there's a distinguishing factor there, but at the same token, if you want to blend, right? And I don't, not to bring up the whole like gray man psychology, right? But if the idea is to blend and I want to feel like I'm part of this, then you have to accept that as well. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Sean, you got any thoughts on this? I do. I, I like the way uh, we're going with this, uh, the way that Doc's just proposed that, because I feel the same way. I think that uh, from time to time, some folks out there can use the veteran title as a scapegoat or as a get out of jail free card where, well, I'll, I'll never be a civilian again. I'm now a veteran and veterans do X. And whatever that X means to them, that's what they're going to do. And if X means to them, I'm going to be lazy. Well, they're going to be lazy because they just got entitled to be lazy. And so uh, if X means I, I, I was never taught to buy groceries and, and that's how they define themselves, I just was never taught. Well, they're never going to learn how to buy groceries because as a veteran, you weren't taught and therefore you don't need to learn it. And therefore, there's no work ahead of you. You can pretty quickly backslide into a life of do nothingness uh, because uh, you're entitled to, to some degree because you worked hard once and now you don't have to work hard in the present in the present, never mind the future, in the present. And so I think that um, if you're going to be mindful, if you're going to live in the present, if you're going to be in the now, uh, that should uh, require a certain amount of adversity, uh, as, as I think we would all agree. But to what level is that adversity? And for what reason is that adversity? And I feel like those are the two missing pieces of the equation, not enough adversity and not enough why, what the mission set is now in the now. Uh, rather than what the mission set used to be back in the day. Back in the day is only a tiny piece of me. Uh, it, it, it defines me to a tiny degree. It doesn't mean that's who I am in the now. Uh, I rely on it from time to time, but I, I don't call myself uh, Warren Officer Taylor every time I bump into someone on the street as a civilian. I'm as much of a civilian at times as all the civilians around me. It really depends on the moment, who I'm with, what shot. 
these are the joys of podcasting on a train. And then what suiting little um I I think he, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to you, Sean, in a second here. And sometimes hold us back. Do you know you got any uh you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, man. So, you know, one of the things that Sean's alluding to, and I agree with, right, is this idea is, so, so, so let's talk about excellence, right, and achieving excellence, right? Well, and, man, so th- there's, there's a lot of different jobs. There's a lot of different ways, obviously, folks serve, right, in the armed forces. And I will tell you, my time in the special operations, as far as serving uh, folks in special operations and working and helping them, Watching folks get out, right, and make the transition and to reassimilate and reacculturate. And I've been out in public when this has happened, and people will come up to them and thank them for their service, right? I have not once um, seen any of the guys, right, that I, that I have had the privilege of working with um, feel that they were entitled to that thank you. It was a, you don't need to thank me. I did, I, I did, I loved my job. <laughs> I loved what I did. I, I didn't do it for a handout. I didn't do it to expect, I don't want the 10% veteran discount, right? I, 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 this country gave me the opportunity to go and kill bad guys, <laughs> right? Which is a dream of mine. Like I, that, that's what I wanted to go do, right? And so I say all that to say, because there, there are microcultures where to Sean's point, if you get out and you think in your mind, being a veteran means you're entitled to certain things and you're going to take advantage of those entitlements, right, at a social level and automatically putting yourself separate and, and above, right, the civilian population, that could be a challenge. I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. I'm just saying it could be a challenge, right, um, versus if you carry a mentality of excellence in every single thing that you do and you're not expecting anything, right, you did what you wanted to do because that's what you want to do. It's what you believed in. And since you believed in it, you acted on it and you forged yourself into an excellent piece of, of material of steel right that was able to be utilized right for the country's betterment right and to for to protect civilians and other folks who are innocent that's one thing but what do we have to do to take carry that mentality into the civilian world let's take that model of excellence and now how do you serve the people to your left and to your right in your communities right to become that piece of steel right different skill set different understanding but the mentality the ethos the drive shouldn't change and I think that's where we have a tendency to drop the ball a little bit. And I will say here in the U.S., the DOD does not do a good job of preparing people right for that reassimilation and reacculturation process. But at the same time, you can only blame the government for so much. You have to have personal responsibility. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, uh-uh, it's my life. It's, it's my time. It's my energy. And I'm going to make sure I did this before I can do this again. This is just a different flavor. And you got to be okay with it. And you have to accept it. All right. But I do think we run into a challenge where that doesn't happen. It is. Uh, it's a challenge up here in Canada too. I mean, we. Uh, I I was on was just on a podcast recently, and we, we were. I was asked the same question: was, you know, is it, is my experience typical, or is um, the way in which I got out and the things that I dealt with kind of typical across the board? And I said, not really, because I got handed every application you can imagine and told like sign these as mm-hmm. I was getting out. That's pretty rare. Yeah, and the. Uh, the key to that is that absolutely, I think, you know, the Veterans Affairs and um, D- Department of National Defense and all that stuff here in Canada should be pushing that to the soldiers as they're getting out. But at the same time, as you said, it is a personal responsibility that if you are getting out, you should be seeking that mm-hmm. knowledge. You mm-hmm. should be finding people and being like, hey, I'm getting out. What What am I, what's available to me? What should I be applying for? And th- so there's, it is a very 50-50 kind of thing, right? Like yeah. the 
should have a lot of uh, there should be push from the organization, but you got to pull as well from your for yourself. That's just key absolutely. Of it. And, you know, I think it's a, such an important thing you just said too, Chance. Like, it, it's this idea of <clears throat> for some folks, right? Their time in service, those three or four years, right? Um, that is that is what the biggest defining moment of their life. Right. And, and maybe they could have been support personnel. They could have been behind the wire the entire time. Maybe they never even deployed. But maybe that is the thing in their life that was the biggest thing that they've ever done because they felt like they were part of something much bigger than themselves. Right. And so coming out of that and never tasting that again, because they haven't put themselves in positions or in situations to be able to get that level of fulfillment and gratification. That's where things can become a bit of a challenge, right? That's where strategic thinking very much matters when they're planning out what their objectives are as a human being. And this is why truly, man, it comes back to self-knowledge and self-mastery and looking at yourself and saying, what do you want, right? But you have to be at a level of understanding and maturity. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, I don't freaking know what I want, right? Well, okay, cool. That's a place to start, right? Let's go find, let's go talk to the right people to help guide us to figure that out versus saying, yeah, yeah, I know what I want. When in reality, you're just lying to yourself because you don't want to admit the fact that I don't know what to do. Like I, I literally, I'm out. I, I, yeah, I have resources, but I literally, I'm lost because now this identity shift has happened. I understand I have to reassimilate into civilian society again, but I don't know where to begin because I fell in love with what I did or there was so much structure. They just told me what to do. So it wasn't even a question. Now I have all this liberty to, to, and I don't know what to do with it. There is such a thing as having too many options. And it's very confusing and it can be a very, very dark place for people because it's, it's too much. It's too much stimuli. Absolutely. Sean, you got any uh, thoughts on this? Hopefully he's with us. I'll try. Um, so I didn't know I was entitled to anything when I left the military. And uh, it was only in about two or three years ago when people started learning that I was in tier one special operations that people started saying, thank you for your service. So I've gone like a couple of decades at least getting nothing and getting nothing. And so I think that's kind of important. If you live your life expecting nothing, well, you can start forging your way through uh, not relying on the past, but uh, focusing on the future while you live in the now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, now I got a question from Glenn here that we want to touch on just quickly. He says, uh, Doc, curious, in my honest opinion, some defining moments are clear some are not have you observed any difference from uh people once they emerge from the defining moments in other words do people with clear defining moments get more than those with ambiguous defining moments and then he says sorry i'm coming off of nights i left my brain in my locker hope that makes sense so <laughs> no man it's all thoughts good. on that question yeah so it's a hard one to give a very clear answer to right because time matters timing matters right so like I may not, I may be going through a defining moment that is really, really tough and I don't have clarity and it's really murky. And maybe right now it's one of those things where I have to shelf because I'm just dealing with like survival of trauma, right? That was directly in front of me, but it doesn't negate the value of that moment or what it's going to mean to me one day, right? And, and so like, and people who can push through a defining moment and have the tools and the skills and the cognitive wherewithal to say, oh, no, I realize how big of a deal that was. And here are some learning points. Got it. Check. Moving on. Right. OK. And that's equally as valuable. Right. And, and they're at a different vantage point. But in time, the meaning making process associated with that thing could shift. I'll give you a prime example. Right. So like I'm over here talking to you guys about my kids and getting adjusted to having two children. Dude, I'm just trying to survive. 
Like, like very, in a very real sense, I, I don't have a very clear roadmap. I know what to do, right? Applying what to do is a different story, right? But if we were to get into the throes of, you know, um, talking about hardcore trauma and there's real-time emotional breakdowns and breakthroughs that are happening in front of me, I could be with someone who's facilitating with me who's never been exposed to that. And that could be a defining moment in their career because like, holy smokes, this is actually happening. But for me, it's not my first rodeo. So yeah, technically it's a defining moment to be expected, but it's not going to have the same effect. It doesn't mean that it's devalued one way or the other. For me, it's another notch in understanding that I'm, I'm serving my purpose. I'm applying the mission that I've been given with my time on this earth. For that other person, they just got validation. One way or the other, they just got validation, right? And so it, it truly depends on what the wheelhouse is and what pool you're swimming in when that defining moment happens. It doesn't mean one way or the other, you're going to emerge, you know, gaining more out of one circumstance. Time matters. So you have to let it marinate. You have to let it do its thing. And as time goes on and you go through that meaning-making process, the clarity comes with it. I don't know if that was a, a clear answer, but that's the best one I got. <laughs> I like it. Semi-ambiguous answer for a semi-ambiguous question. I like. There that. we go. All right, <laughs> like cool. It. John, you got any thoughts on this? If he's with us, I think he might be frozen. Yeah, I think he's frozen. Okay. Um, so I, I really like. I, I loved your answer on that one. That's fantastic. It brings up an interesting uh, thought in my mind. I was thinking about this earlier. Is that you know defining moments? The the concept of a defining moment, at least in my mind, it's almost like a it's like a singular snippet it's a second it's a minute it you know mm -hmm. but at the mm -hmm. same time those defining moments can be time periods like Absolutely. large expansive time periods so i'm thinking about my time in afghanistan that's eight months now there's a long spurts within that period where we were doing nothing like we were yeah. literally sitting on our butt right <laughs> sitting yeah. in the sun yeah, yeah, yeah. um but at the same time that's it's intermixed with defining moments within themselves mm -hmm. so um, my question really is like is there a way to determine defining like a defining moment or is it something that we should be like seeking? Hey, I want to have a defining moment here. Like, or is it more of a, if it happens, it happens. Oh, wow. That was a defining moment kind of deal. I, you know, I think when you seek it, it's not authentic, right? Moments like this, it's kind of, of of this life circumstances that all come together crashing down at one one, one specific moment in time um and, and it very much leaves an impression the really interesting thing is that when it first happens right and it's five feet in front of us it's one thing fast forward to when i'm forty thousand feet in the air and i'm looking down right and, and this idea of so for example chance like let's say you're you're over in afghanistan you're executing it on a mission you're on target you guys are doing your thing and it's your first firefight, right? And then that one, that's a defining moment, no two ways about it, right? But now fast forward eight months later and you're headed back home, right? And you've been in dozens of firefights, right? And now that chapter that was first this one thing, this domino effect that will never leave you because you'll never forget that. But at the same time, so many others have happened that fall directly in, a, in the same type of alignment, unless there's a new type of trauma that's introduced like loss, right? Which can obviously is a huge part of that as well that defining moment is going to be what it is. 10 years from now, you're going to look back, you're going to remember that one moment, but at the same time, there's so many others that have happened, right? You're going to look at it as a chapter. Those eight months were, that was the chapter, when in reality, in real time, when you were done with that first engagement and you take a step back and you're like, whoa, like that, that actually, that happened. Like all that was real, right? Um, 
so you know i don't think that's you weren't seeking that right it's kind of it's your job but you're not going on after okay this i'm gonna go do this and this is gonna be a massive defining moment for me no it's it's part of what you're doing it's part of what your mission is it's part of what it is that you know that you signed up for but you're not thirsting to have this epiphany this massive monumental experience that's going to shift your perception on who you are and what your place is on this earth I think if you go looking for it, you're going to try and put a label on things that happen that aren't actually defining moments. You're going to turn them into defining moments. You don't need to do anything. A real defining moment is going to define you. <laughs> you don't have to do anything to try and exacerbate that process. Um, life has a funny way of, of making things align, right? The universe has an interesting way of, of manifesting certain things. And as time goes on and you recognize right, what those defining moments were, it adds that much more value because you didn't realize that what it was at that moment in time because you were just trying to survive through it, right? Or you were trying to completely embody that moment, right? Like the birth of a child, when you get married, the loss of a parent, like all these things, right, that, that have a massive impact because, again, it goes back to moral injury, things that you wholeheartedly believe in that either get amplified, right, which is obviously not the injury side of it, or they get violated, which is the injury side of it. Absolutely. Now, uh, Sean, good to have you back. <laughs> you had a little bit of a signal issue there, but uh... my 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 apologies. We just went through every tunnel in uh, Japan, every tunnel. Uh, so I just wanted to say this real quick uh, to Doc's point. You know, for anyone who's struggling out there right now as a parent or not as a parent or whatever the case is, whatever anchor you've got dropped that you can't move out of, take faith that others have sorted it out. Others have solved this problem. It is awesome. The worst of circumstances, all of the bad things, you know, you can sort it out. Absolutely. And uh, on that note, we are, we're running short on time. The, and to the people watching, unfortunately, we have to shut her down early because we got some hard timing. Sean's going to be getting off a train shortly. Uh, Doc G's got to put his daughter down, all kinds of things. So we're going to cut it short. Let's do some quick final thoughts, and then we'll be able to carry on with the rest of our evenings or mornings for Sean. So, Gino, got any final thoughts on anything? Yeah, man. So, so you know, one of the things that um, I would tell folks to do is, is to journal, right? Retrospectively, journal those defining moments. All of them, every single one of them that you felt at some point in your life and your journey has been an anchor point for you, write it down. And the reason why I say it is because it kind of goes in alignment with a lot of things that I have folks that in the soft community do as far as writing a personal constitution and what is it you stand for and what your values are. Look at what your value system is. Look at those defining moments and figure out how it is that helped to sculpt the person that you are today and be thankful and grateful for them. And I know, look, some of them are really painful, right? Some of them are dark and dirty and they're nasty, right? But they all contributed to this very moment where you have manifested an identity of yourself where every single day you should be walking in a path of excellence and pushing yourself to be the best version of you to achieve self-mastery. So you have to retrospectively look back and do an inventory. What were all the chisels along the way, right? You're hammering out, you're forging out that piece of steel that is you. What are the hammers, right? What are the things that are knocking you? Pow, 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 right? And making you strong and resilient because that's exactly what they are, right? But you have to recognize it as such. And not that it's destroying you or beating you down. Each hit, man, it's just making you better. Bam. I love it. Sean, you got any uh, final thoughts? Yeah, I agree with the doc. Uh, I'll use myself as the case study. Utilize the case study and then freeze. I like it. Solid. 
All right. Well, I'm going to apology, Sean. Thanks for bringing the heat, Doc. There we go. Always, brother. My pleasure. Um, I really do appreciate the convo. This has been fantastic. I've I've learned quite a bit just in uh, the 42 minutes we've been going. This is fantastic. Thank you again, Gino. We're going to get you on very soon again. That's rock and roll, man. Continue to bug you regularly. Bring it, dude. Bring it. Um, I love it. The only thing I I, want to add on this is that, you know, the key to all of this is learning about yourself. Mm -hmm. Once you learn about yourself, take the time to learn about yourself. You can build Mm -hmm. upon it. And once you start building, you'll start growing. So Mm -hmm. keep doing that. And you can do it with us every day here on The Collective. We'll see you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo.